Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. One of the many effects of COVID-19 that it's had on society and on our lives is that it has brought death constantly before us. For hardly a day goes by without an announcement on TV or the internet or social media of how many people have died so far from the sickness. Now, especially in the light of this, I really am constantly surprised at how careless so many Christians are in dealing with death. Over decades of pastoral ministry, I have encountered many spouses whose life partners have died without making responsible provision for them. You know, some are left financially at risk, but mostly the problem is that they don't have passwords to computers or to banks, or they don't have access to other essential bits of information. And neither do they know where necessary documents are, who they're supposed to contact. I've even come across widows having to locate and then repatriate overseas funds that they had no clue even existed or to wind up companies that have been left without succession, or to search for passwords to key online resources. Now, amazingly, many spouses, particularly wives, which I guess that's a generational comment I'm making. Now, it doesn't only apply to male-female in the marriage relationship, although in my generation, it's mainly the men who look after the finances. So, many of the spouses, many of the wives, live in almost total ignorance of the family's finances and of their husband's business dealings. Now, I must tell you, I I regard this negligence as selfish and unloving. Christians are not either of these things, usually. They're not selfish and unloving people. And certainly the deceased husbands that I knew that I'm referring to here were good men, men involved in church and in Christian ministry, and they, they loved their wives, So why then were they and so many others remiss in dealing with death? Well, I don't suppose there's too many among us who believe that we're going to continue to live on earth in physical bodies now and forever. Amen. No, I think 99.9% of Christians, for them, mortal death is a biblical and a medically provable certainty. Although, hopefully, We all also believe with equal conviction that we will live on eternally with Christ Jesus in the heavenly realm. So denial of the actual fact of death, that it's actually going to happen, can't be the answer to the problem. Perhaps the answer is thanatophobia. Eh? Say what? (laughs) Well, that's a word I recently acquired, and it means fear of death. And it includes a fear of the death process. And I guess I can understand this, especially if the prognosis is a painful and protracted demise. The actor and playwright and author Woody Allen is quoted famously as saying, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) However, you know, I don't think that the kind of people I have in mind now suffer from this kind of thanatophobia. So, what then could the problem be? Well, I think maybe some Christians lack assurance of their own salvation. You see, they know, like all of us know, that they, we, have sinful aspects of our lives. So, they're not convinced 
that they will actually get an entrance ticket, a free pass by St. Peter when they arrive at the pearly gates of heaven. I think others maybe just simply cannot conceive of any form of life that does not consist of material substance. So they have no real concepts for it. And I think yet others may be quite a large group. They grow up in a culture or a family that treats death as a taboo. So they don't speak about it and they really don't like to think about it. Well, whatever the cause, an unfortunate response by many is denial. A conscious or subliminal refusal to face up to the reality of death. Now this is deeply unfortunate because it both robs the sufferer of the joy of an assured eternal future and it impoverishes those left behind to live with the consequences of them failing to deal with the reality of their own demise. You know, in my view, we as Christians, as believers, live for really just two things, eternity and legacy, eternity and legacy. And there's a scripture that sets out most succinctly these two vital aspects, and that's Philippians 1, verses 20 through 26. Let me read it to you. Paul writes, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Okay, first let's look at the concept of living for eternity. Living for eternity actually includes living now for the glory of God. I want to say that again. Living for eternity includes in that understanding and that concept, living right now for God's glory. You see, eternity starts the moment we are born again of the Spirit into union with Christ Jesus. Paul's wish was that Christ would be exalted in his body, whether by life or death. In other words, he wanted to glorify God both by living and by dying in Christ. We live in an eternity that starts here and now on earth, and it continues into the heavenly realm. The Lord Jesus put it this way. You'll find this in John 11, verses 25 and 26. He said, I am the res resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Good question. Do you believe this? Now, continued existence in the presence of God for eternity in heaven really should not be doubted by Christians. You know, right in the middle of the book of Revelation, Revelation 14 verse 13, we find these powerful words. It says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. You see, Jesus, John, 
Paul and others made it absolutely clear that heaven is not conditional for those who have been born again of the Spirit. Now let me explain what I mean by conditional. The, the only condition of eternal life is that we repent, we believe Jesus is God, we cast our trust and our dependence upon Him, we ask Him for the rebirth of our spirit. And in that moment that we are born again of the Spirit, there are no further conditions to us being with Him eternally. However, what we do on earth from spiritual rebirth onward certainly factors into our eternal activity, into our utility, and into our reward. But it does not constitute a pass-or-fail criterion. Sure, once we're born again, we need to live out this life with fear and trembling for His God who works within us to do and to will according to His will. And so it factors in to the activity we might or might not have and our utility to God and to the universe and to the reward that Jesus spoke about in many of His parables. But it doesn't constitute a pass or fail criteria, whether we get in or not. Remember, even the dying criminal on the cross next to Jesus heard the assurance that he would be with the Lord in paradise. Why? Because he had acknowledged the Lordship of Jesus. That, of course, is Luke 23, verse 43. Now, however, even though our eternal destiny is certain and secure, we are still required to live for a legacy. That's the second part, living for a legacy. In the passage from Philippians I quoted, Paul acknowledges that although it was in his best interest to die and to be with Jesus, he realized that the disciples' best interest would be served if he continued ministering to them. He needed to complete his legacy to the believers, to the believers of that day and indeed to the believers that would follow after that. You know, amongst other things, Paul needed to complete writing what later became the bulk of the New Testament, right? And the Bible itself is a glorious legacy, inspired by God, but recorded by many faithful disciples. John 20, verse 31. These are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. In addition, most, I would say most, genuine Christian ministries are definitely legacies, and they need to be preserved and stewarded through into the future. And this requires successful succession planning. We need to make sure that when we die, the ministry that God has entrusted into our hands continues under capable and able leadership. Very recently, just very recently, a long-term, 28-year-old long-term friend of mine died leaving behind an important ministry, and it will probably die with him. We talked so many times about the eventuality of, of, of this kind of thing happening, and how, how he needed to prepare somebody to take over from him. Yet he didn't. He did not provide successful succession. Now, he was neither stupid, nor was he uncaring. He was, I think, just not prepared to deal with the reality that he would, in fact, die one day. Family is a legacy. Our spouses, our children, our grandchildren. Local churches are a legacy. Wise knowledge is a legacy. 
I guess art, music, literature can all be worthwhile legacies and quite clearly one of the greatest legacies any of us can leave behind is by speaking and acting into the lives of others so that they come to know Jesus and become more like Jesus in this lifetime. That is a golden legacy we can all and should all leave behind us. But whatever we have and whatever we do can either be a legacy or a liability. A legacy or a liability to family, to society and to the kingdom of God. And quite clearly, surely, we would all choose legacy rather than liability, would we not? However, and I need to make this point strongly, living for eternity and living for a legacy should not be either or choices. Because as we live for eternity, we leave a legacy, a golden legacy. And the legacy is good and beneficial and God-glorifying if we live for eternity. The, the two are together. They are two sides of one corn. Paul put it this way, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, apart from the obvious benefits of us dealing with the reality of our own death for those who we leave behind us, obvious benefits, there are two other major benefits that I want to cover. Firstly, Jesus told several parables about the need to be prepared at any time to meet him in eternity. For instance, Matthew 25, 13, Luke 12, 40, and so on. And Paul also taught on the subject in places such as 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, for the early disciples, there really was little difference between the end of the world that they thought was going to happen quite quickly, by the way, in their lifetime, or personal death. Because both of them mean stopping to live physically on this earth and being continuing to live and being a life with Christ in eternal heaven. They saw very little difference between those two things. So surely, guys, it should be a great relief to know that you and I are ready to meet Jesus face to face at any time, whether he comes again or whether we go to him in death. Now, the second major benefit of dealing with death is the peace of mind that it brings to both you and your loved ones. You see, it's a real act of love to set everything in order and to ensure that as best as you can, your family will be able to survive you with as little emotional pain and problem as possible. So, I want to turn lastly to some practical aspects of dealing with death through responsible preparation. I think maybe the best way I can serve you is just to pose a series of questions and ask you to consider them thoughtfully. Firstly, have you compiled and kept updated a list of all the passwords that those surviving you would need to access computers, cell phones, social medias, banks, and other financial accounts and the like? Have you kept an updated list of these passwords? Two, have you drawn up a will and placed it in secure hands? Have you set out directions for who and how to contact key people, such as undertakers, pastors, financial consult consultants, banks and the like, with names and contact details? So should you die, your family, your wife, your children would know who to speak to 
and how to get hold of them and what they needed to do. Then, have you collected all important documents such as wills and title deeds and insurance policies and licenses and so on into one secure place and made this location, this secure place known to your spouse or your children or even perhaps a trusted friend or even an agent? Have you documented the procedure for continuing or winding up any companies or ministries you control and have entrusted to you? Have you provided leadership and administrative succession for any enterprises, projects or ministries that you believe really should be preserved as a legacy? And lastly, have you provided capital and access to funds for the people that mean a lot in your life, like wives, spouses, for the period it takes for your estate to be wound up? Now, these are just some of the practical things that we all should attend to right now, while we can, for we really don't know when we are going to die. But we do know that we will one day die. So, I hope this is useful to you. And, and you know, there's plenty of other things I could raise. There are important matters such pet care, you know, what happens to your pets when you die? And maybe any last wishes you have or any unfinished emotional issues. But I, want, I don't want to talk about that now. I'm sure you'll consider these things. So maybe just deal with what you can. Make it as easy as possible for those who succeed you. And, and be at peace. On my article on truthistheword.com, I've listed a, a number of other scriptures that I haven't quoted so far in this truth talk. So if you want to get onto the website truthistheword.com and look up this particular article that this truth talk is based on, then you'll see some more important scriptures. And there's also a link to a very useful, practical website. It's a, it's a non-Christian one, it's a secular one, but it gives a lot of practical guidance and forms and so on that, that we all could use to plan and responsibly approach this kind of issue. So, may God grant you wisdom and courage and peace. God bless you. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pebler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth talks.